Alrighty. If you have your Bible, can I interrupt the conversation and get you to turn to Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 4. This is the, the second half of the letter. We talked a little about this last week. We talked about the fact that the first half is rich in theology, the second half is rich in application. We asked ourselves last week this question of how do you keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace? And this week begins to take us further into that to get some practicals around that. This week looks at how we do church. It looks at what church is all about. It it tries to wrestle and wrestles really well with why do we do what we do? You know, one of the challenges is that so often we treat church or Christianity or God even as a spectator sport. And it just becomes this thing we attend and we watch and we look at and occasionally we might do a little bit, but it's this very kind of passive thing. And this passage here invites us to stand alongside people like Matt and Rahel every one of us, and to realize that we are all in the game. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended into the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I want to talk this morning about spiritual gifting. I want to talk this morning about spiritual leadership, and I want to talk this morning about spiritual maturity. And you'll see how those three things are utterly linked. And he starts off after saying, you know what, you are one, now work out your oneness, that was last week, and he says, right, here's how, this is how we do it. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That grace there literally means this. It means the enabling and empowering of the Holy Spirit. It's a grace. It's an enabling. It's an ability to serve in the area that God has called us to. It's about the exercise of spiritual gifts for serving. Now, sometimes when we think of spiritual gifts, we we immediately go this way and we say, Oh, I wonder what mine is so that I can serve. Can I suggest to you that's the wrong way to think about it? Think of Peter. Think of the apostle Peter before he was the apostle. He's there as a disciple. He's on the boat. He's in the middle of the lake. And Jesus says to him, come. And there is just a small problem between Peter and Jesus. It's called water. right? It's not physically possible to walk on water. But in that moment, there was an enabling that was given Peter by Jesus to walk on water. Think 
of Rahel. I'm, I just said to Sarah before, I said, you guys preach this message. I just feel like getting up and saying amen. So Rahel signs up to be a debt coach for Christians Against Poverty. And as she signs up to that, it's like she's standing in the security of her life with Jesus out there next to a client in a home, and Jesus says to her, come. Now, what's she going to do? Oh, hang on, I need to think about the particular spiritual gift I need for that particular moment. No, no, no. She's going to think, he said, come, I'm going to serve, and I'm going to entrust the enabling and empowerment of the Holy Spirit to enable me to be effective in that home. That's spiritual gifting. And so here is Paul saying to this church, how do you create and keep this unity? Spiritual gifting. Oh, what's mine? No, no, no. Wrong question. Right question. Where is God calling me to serve? What is God calling me to do? We explored a lot of that a couple of years ago in a series in 1 Corinthians. It was called the Power Series. If you want kind of four weeks on that, find it on our website. Go there, go to sermons, you'll find it. It's called Power. Um, They'll give you a whole bunch more stuff on that. But here's the point that Paul is making here. Every single one of us receives the grace, the enabling, and the empowerment that Christ wants to give you so that unity can be maintained, so that the body can be built up. Well, how are those gifts secured? Well, he says in verse 8, this is why it says, It feels a little strange, this bit, doesn't it? When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended into the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. What's he talking about? Well, he's referring back to a psalm. There was a psalm which was Psalm 68, where it says this in verse 18 and 34 and 35, when you ascended on high, you took many captives. You received gifts from people, even from the rebellious, that you, Lord God, might dwell there. And at the end of the psalm, it says, proclaim the power of God, whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the heavens. You, God, are awesome in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God. Here's the thing. He descended. Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth, the incarnation. He came from earth to the grave. There was the descent of Jesus Christ. But he didn't stay there. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He defeated Satan. And he made a show of them. And the picture here is like the picture we see in that psalm there, which is this. When a, when a leader goes and conquers a people, a nation, they will arrive home and they will have trailed behind them the captives, which will be a display of his power and his strength and his glory. And as they parade the captors through saying, I am utterly victorious, they will shower the people of the city with gifts. 
And it will be a display of the glory of the conquering king. Jesus Christ. (laughs) He is our conquering king. And he came to earth from his throne in heaven. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He disarmed Satan, defeating him and rendering him powerless. And in doing so, he caught captives, his defeated foes, and all his people, and he gave them gifts of honor and worship now and in eternity. And then in Philippians 2, it says this, being found in appearance as a man, he, that is Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. What does it mean? It means this. He is awesome. He is our conquering king. He gives strength and power to his people. The gifts bring strength and power for victory in the church. Worship is an operation of spiritual gifts and is a testimony to the reality of the resurrection. You know, every one of us has been given this grace. Do you know it? There is not one person who is a follower of Jesus Christ in this room who is outside of the outpouring of the grace of God in their life. And you discover that not by sitting with a textbook somewhere saying, I wonder what my gifting is. You discover it when you step out. You discover it when you say, God, I don't know if I can do this. But then you do it. You discover it when you're in that situation talking with a friend and all of a sudden they ask you a question about Jesus. When you open your mouth to speak, you discover that enabling. You discover it when you're talking with someone and they say, I have no idea what to do next. Would you help me? And you think, I have got no wisdom. That You step out into it and you discover that God enables you with wisdom. You discover it when someone is walking alongside you and it's like they say to you, you know, I am physically sick and I don't know if I can cope. And you say, I don't know if I've got any power here. Well, you don't, but you discover it when you step out and you pray for them and he enables you with the gift to encourage and to heal. You discover it when you step out. Why? Because our king is the conquering king. Our king is the victorious king. Our king is the one who gives strength and power as a free gift, as a grace to every single follower of him. However, the expression and direction of spiritual gifting, of this grace, of this enabling, of this endowment, needs to have shaping and maturing. It must be framed in love and in order. And that was Paul's plea to the Corinthian church. Gifts are an essential and powerful part of our life. But they must be employed in a deeply reverent, orderly, unified, powerful way. So God not only gives us spiritual gifting, he gives spiritual leadership to equip us in the expression of our gifting. Verse 11, so Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people 
for works of service. Here are the five. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. Now, let me let you into a little secret here. There is a hugely wide range of views on what those five things are. There have been entire denominations that have been set up on the basis of a particular interpretation of this verse. There have been people who have argued their way into disunity over this verse. This is one of those wonderful verses that I'm going to avoid and go on to the next one. (laughs) Yeah, there is a view that the apostles and the prophets were foundational for the church, completing the scriptures, then moving off the scene. With the completed scripture and the revelation of Jesus Christ, no further revelation is necessary. And Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 kind of helps us with this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, and you can put in their apostles, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has, past tense, spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the entire universe. It's saying, you know what, we've got the finished Bible, we've got Jesus' words, that's it. No more words from God. And the apostles were those who had witnessed the resurrected Christ and delivered the New Testament writings. And the prophets essentially were the Old Testament prophets, and they were in line with the New Testament apostle. They received revelation to complete what was needed for Scripture. And Ephesians 2 kind of backs this up where it says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. There is a strong case to be made to say that the apostles and the prophets were foundational and that in their role as really the deliverers of the word of God, which we now have as the finished canon of Scripture, There is no need for the apostles and the prophets today. On the other hand, there is a model that requires every church to have a a five-fold ministry in operation for them to be be a church. Governmental structures are established on this blueprint. Ministries are aligned to them in this blueprint. And leaders identify as one or more of those various five-fold ministries. The most popular being the apostolic and prophetic ministries because they just kind of seem more fun. (laughs) Then there's the debate about whether it's five ministries or four ministries. Is it apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor, teacher? Or is it apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher? My point is this. There are people way smarter than me who are arguing about this. And there are churches that are blowing themselves up over trying to discover the exact definition of what this all means. I think it's a bit of a rabbit trail. But let's step back from this and let's think principle because that's really, really important. You know, the apostles and the evangelists proclaim the message and establish churches. The prophets and the pastor teachers inform and instruct believers. What's the essence of these four or five leadership gifts from Jesus Christ for the church? And that's what they're there for. 
They are offices or gifts for the church, leadership gifts for the church. I think we see the spirit of these graces of this enabling and empowering in the church. And and there's my kind of summary of it. An apostle is a sent one, an ambassador with a message, someone who leads, who governs, who establishes, and who grows the church. A prophet is is a message bearer. It's someone discerning and revealing the heart of God, encouraging and exhorting believers. An evangelist is a declarer, someone proclaiming truth and engaging with the lost. A pastor is a shepherd guarding and caring for the flock, cultivating wholeness and holiness. And a teacher is an instructor, someone grounding the people in truth and building their faith. And that's just simply saying, what do those words mean? Irrespective of context, what do those words mean? And that, that's the definitions. I've got to tell you, I'm, I'm not so much interested in trying to work out exactly what we are and are not supposed to have today according to whatever theological framework you want to put over this text. But I'm really interested in seeing the flavor of all five or four roles actively released and working in the leadership of the street and of the church and our nation in our world, to see more gifted leaders leading this church and the church in New Zealand and beyond. I'm talking a little bit with with leaderships around the country. And one of the recurring themes you hear is this, where are the leaders? Where are they? There are churches that are desperate for leaders. There are Cities and suburbs and towns desperate for churches with leaders who are passionate about Jesus, who are passionate about the gospel, who are passionate about shepherding, instructing, declaring, messaging, and being sent. Where are they? I had a a national leader the other day say to me, he, he said, oh, you know, we were sort of talking to one another, and he said, you, you pastor the street, don't you? I said, yeah, I do. He said, it's always that horrible question, you know, how big is it? I, I hate that question. But depending on, depending on you know, how you measure it, it's irrelevant, really. But he said, you're a big church. He said, here's my challenge for you. What would it take for the Street City Church to produce 20 church leaders in the next 10 years who could pastor other churches. Bring it on. Bring it on. And then there's the challenge right here and now of this sort of leadership. You know, I... I find myself asking this question. I wonder if there are people sitting in our church who God is calling you to step out of the boat into leadership, and you're not. I wonder if there are people who are sitting in our church who are saying, I don't know if I've got it. Or you're looking behind you and you're thinking, I like my boat. 
What's the spiritual leader called to do? The flavor of the leadership will be reflected in those statements. Doesn't mean you say there needs to be five people individually gifted in those five different ways, but the flavor is going to be there. Isn't this expression of that which is there? Well, what are they going to do? Well, they're going to prepare God's people for works of service. Prepare means equip. It means literally repair, train, complete. It's this idea of, can I, can I just sort of borrow you for a second, right, theoretically? So Rahel says, I want to step out and I want to get involved with serving the poor in such a way that we can not only serve them practically, but we can serve them spiritually by introducing them to Jesus Christ. And so Rahel comes along and says, I'm trusting God that when I step out, I will be enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit with a spiritual gifting. But the thing is, if we just simply said to Rahel, awesome, go for it, and let it go by itself, how long would she last? Because there's all sorts of challenges that come. There's resourcing that's needed. There's training. There's encouragement. There's the systems and the structures. And just the fact of coming along in those moments where you walk out of yet another client visit where it didn't go quite as you wanted and you're feeling utterly deflated and discouraged to come alongside and go, you know what? You're on the right place. Keep going. See, a leader will repair, will equip, will train, so that people can do these works of service, which Ephesians 2 verse 10 tells us they do. Gifted leaders do this. So how do leaders equip? Well, there's something really interesting. When you look at all five of these, there is a common thread that runs through all of them. The apostles and the prophets delivered the word of God. The evangelist preaches the gospel of the word of God. The pastor feeds people the word of God. The teacher instructs people in the word of God. You see, the power of the spirit and the word of God are linked so deeply. You cannot have one without the other. In fact, Paul puts teaching in front, teaching of the word in front and center, 2 Timothy 2, 1 to 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Leaders who know how to handle the word of truth to teach it, to disciple others, to help others become total followers of Jesus Christ. Leaders who will grow churches, who will encourage believers, who will reach the lost, who will care for the church, and who will teach truth. What's the result of this? If there is spiritual gifting that is underneath spiritual leadership, what's the result? Verse 12b says this, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's spiritual maturity. The body of Christ is built up. That literally means this. It's improved. It's spiritually profitable. You grow. Define it. 
you become more like Jesus. You become more like Jesus. Till we all reach unity in the faith. That is oneness in what we believe and oneness about our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, we can define that, and we did last week like this. We said this is a a common holding on to Christ and a common holding on to the truth about Christ. We trust him, and we trust what we know about him. But that's all well and good. It's like, how do we know we have it? How do we know we have this unity? How do we know we have this maturity? Do we take a test? Do we, do we come to church one Sunday and we kind of have a multi-choice test and if we all answer the same answers on you, who is Jesus? And if we all give the same answer, we've got unity. Now, that, that would be a good objective way of doing it, wouldn't it? Some of you kind of accounting-y type people I see grinning in the room. Nobody else is, but all the accounting, yeah, I could see that working. You know it. Here's the key. We become mature. The test is maturity. And maturity is defined as attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Jesus. That is the character and the quality of him. You know, you encounter people from time to time, don't you, who just radiate love for Jesus. We encounter people from time to time, don't we, who just have that selfless, giving, beautiful, joy-filled, peace-filled, loving, patient, kind, goodness-based character. Maturity. The people that no matter what comes their way, it doesn't change. The people who are consistent. The people who are solid. The people who are a joy to be around. The people who sometimes, if we are a little honest, may even feel a little imposing because it's like they just seem so good. Maturity. Maturity. And we are called to help each other become total followers of Jesus Christ. Equipped, enabled, empowered, serving with the grace of God as part of the community of God for the glory of God. So here's my little equation today. Spiritual gifting that is shaped through spiritual leadership leads to spiritual maturity. I think fundamentally that's how the church is supposed to work. Spiritual gifting, the enabling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, shaped by leadership that is spiritual, leadership that has the flavor of an apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, pastoral teaching nuance. that that brings the fullness of those out in the flock. As the flock then serves one another with all of the enabling of God, listening to the whisper of the Holy Spirit, 
stepping out into our city that desperately needs the grace and the truth of God, stepping into one another's lives, serving one another with all of the enabling that God can give and never saying, no, not me, but saying, God, yes, I will. I'll trust you and I'll step out into the water from the security of where I am, knowing that you've called me and that in that moment you'll give me everything that I need. And as you're equipped and empowered by those who can serve you by equipping, it leads to spiritual maturity. That is the church. That is the church. Question. Are you serving the church? And this is not that recruitment drive. Though I'm sure there are a bunch of ministry leaders that would love to hear from you. Are you serving? In other words, are you listening to the whisper of the Spirit and saying yes? And are you doing it in such a way where you go, oh my goodness, I think I'm about to get wet. And then when you take that step, you realize, actually, I'm not. I'm not where I'm standing. It's like, hey, Jesus, this is working. This is great. Whoa. And you're proving the power of the Holy Spirit because he is enabling you and empowering you. Are you serving? Secondly, in the community here at the street that you're connected with, is there a growing maturing in Christ? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Are the people around you becoming more like Jesus? Here's a, here's a challenge I think we have. I think in parts of our church community that there is often a let's pull each other down as opposed to lift each other up spiritually. I think that there is the potential in people's lives to to encourage people to oh, don't be quite so sold out about Jesus. I think there is a potential in some of our, our community that some people would rather keep us a little off the boil than be passionate about Jesus. Are you influenced by that? Maybe you're contributing to that. Can I ask you this question? What are you doing? in your own life, and in the lives of those around, to lift people to maturity, to lift people to be more like Jesus. And thirdly, is there a calling on your life to devote yourself to leading? I would love to go back to my friend in 10 years' time and say, just like Simon said on the stage here, you challenged us to send 20 pastors out. We smashed it. You know what? This world needs people who are bold enough to say, I'll go. Who are bold enough to say, I'll leave my boat and I'll walk on water and I'll go where Jesus wants me to go because there is an eternity that matters. And there are people whose lives matter and I'll do it. Would you stand with me? Would you bow your heads with me?
you spend the next moment. Just you and Jesus. Imagine you're in the boat. And he's standing out. And for you, there's a whole lot of things this could be. This could be just, you know, I've never really put myself on the stretch for him. I've never really stepped out and sensed and experienced the endowing, enabling empowerment of the Holy Spirit. My prayer for you right now is this, Lord, would you, would you give them opportunity? Father, would that person, would those people, would they have the opportunity this week to trust you and to see the gifts of the Spirit in operation in their life? Father, I pray right now that for those who, who want a greater degree of the, of the work of the Spirit in their life, would they just simply say yes to you and in faith believe that this week you're going to move in their life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and simply say, Jesus, I receive it. I want this week to know a greater work of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want this week to be that person. I want to step out of the boat. I want to step out of my place of complacency. I don't want to just simply be who I have been. I want to be a person who's led by the Spirit. Father, would you gift them with every gift that they need? Would they know the grace poured into their life, the empowering of the Holy Spirit poured into their life, the enabling of the Holy Spirit poured into their life. Father, free them from wondering about what particular gift it is and get them focused on what the issue is that they pursue you. I pray now for those for whom you've realized that your life has not been about maturing in Christ. You realize that you've kind of been running a second-rate spiritual limp. And the Lord's just challenged you this morning. He said, you know what? You're allowed to be passionate about Jesus. And some of you are believing a lie that actually I don't need to be. Or that I'm too scared about what my friends are going to think. And maybe you've had some friends who are followers of Jesus and they've kind of poured scorn, they've poured cold water on your passion in the past and you're saying, I don't want to stand for that anymore. I want to be that woman. I want to be that man who says, I love him and I'm just all out for Jesus. If that's you just right now, where you are, you may want to raise your hands, you may just want to do this privately, you and the Lord, but just lift that to him and say, God, would you, would you kind of pour hot water into me again? That I've been bright for you. I won't settle for second best. I want to be that, that woman, that man who follows you and loves you and has freedom to declare it and to share it. You might be standing here this morning and say, I, I don't even know Jesus. I may have heard all about him. I may have like, had kind of thoughts about it. But I've never surrendered my life to Christ. All that you've talked about this morning, Nick Field, is kind of foreign to me. I sort of get it, but it feels foreign to me. So my question is this, have you ever surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Have you ever come to a place where you said, I trust him with my life. I'll ask him to forgive me. If that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. We all just pray along. Father, thank you. You love me. Lord Jesus, I agree with you. I'm, I'm living my life separate from you. 
you call that sin. Lord Jesus, I admit I am a sinner. I turn to you and I invite you into my life to forgive me and to lead me. Lord Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. I surrender all to you now. In your name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that, I want to see you at the end and give you a pack. And I said yes pack that can help you grow as a follower.